0: Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familias to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. Now I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Katie Plunkett who will be talking with us about effective communication and social emotional learning. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thank you so
1: much. I'm excited to be here.
0: Thank you for joining us. There's so much we can dive into because you're a 4th grade classroom teacher, you're an entrepreneur, and you're doing a lot of work behind the scenes and in front, you know, head on to help oh. teachers parents, and families. So before we dive into that, can you tell our listeners a little bit
1: about what makes you, you? Absolutely. So I am a teacher still working full-time in the classroom. I absolutely love it. And behind the scenes, like you said, I have been working the past few years to develop resources specifically like for social emotional learning, because I found that a lot of resources that are out there are designed more for adults. Like there's wonderful journaling exercises and all of these self-help books. And I personally have benefited from so many of them, but I wasn't finding the same type of content that was going to work for kids. And so I created a lot of those resources myself. And the past few years, I've been sharing them online and, and selling some of those. And that that is a really big part of who I am. I, I just absolutely love the work that I do with kids. And I'm really passionate about it. Outside of that, I'm kind of your typical coffee-loving dog mom. I live in Southern California. I live by the beach. I'm there all the time. Definitely a little beach bunny. But yeah, that's kind of me in summary.
0: <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So for listeners who don't know what you mean by social-emotional learning, Can you give us an overview, please?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I know most adults are familiar with physical education. We all had it growing up, PE. But there is also our emotional and mental health. And that is something that is very often not addressed in the school setting. Oftentimes schools, in my experience, don't even have mental health professionals on staff having like a school psychologist or a school counselor is a privilege that a lot of districts and schools just can't have. So by social emotional learning, I mean, basically explicitly teaching social skills to kids in the classroom, and also teaching them the language of feelings so that they are able to have conversations about how they're feeling and work through their emotions and understand that a lot of what they're experiencing is very normal and there are strategies that they can use to get through these really big feelings that they're experiencing.
0: Absolutely. And I love that you're offering this in such a genuine, easily understandable, digestible way because in my work with people, I realize that so many adults never had social emotional learning so we have you know generations of chronologically mature individuals who don't really know how to relate to others maybe they can in a work environment or in other situations but often on an intimate person to person friend to friend level that sort of thing they really struggle and i agree with you it's because it's not taught mm-hmm. we teach math we teach english we teach pe And we don't realize that one of the most critical skills is that ability to understand ourselves, understand our emotions so that we can properly relate to other people as well. So thank you. Thank you. So let's explore a little bit about when you're saying social emotional learning, what are one or two things that are really great examples that listeners can say, oh, I get it. I get how this, I can take this concept and use it in my daily life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's, I could think of thousands of examples, but I'll, I'll think of one I actually used just this week with my students. So they, they're, you know, kind of like eight, nine, 10 years old in that range. And they're definitely starting to get a better sense of themselves and themselves as being like separate from other kids in the room and separate from their families. And like they have this new sense of individuality and they're experimenting with different kind of personalities and behaviors. And that is great. And I love that. And also it leads to a lot of social conflict. So one thing that I did in my classroom this week is I separated the kids into groups and it was very specific. I gave them each a prompt of a problem that was a real problem that we had experienced at school. So one example of that would be someone called you a name because you pushed them out of line and, or somebody got hurt out at recess because of rough play. And they had to figure out amongst themselves in that group, how they were going to solve that problem. And then they had to present it as a little skit to the class and so that's one example of like a social emotional learning lesson it's an opportunity for them to practice social skills in a safe setting it's not a real conflict i mean it it was it was something that really yes. happened <laughs> but in this setting it was just practicing and i think it's important that we do give kids opportunities to practice those skills because otherwise they're only getting the opportunity when there is real conflict happening and oftentimes in those moments they're not cognitively like processing, oh, I this is what I need to do. This is what they're reacting out of just feeling. So that's one example for like social skills specifically. Another example could be, I used to just have um back when I was teaching first grade, an emotion of the day. And I had these little emotion cards and we would talk about, well, what is this emotion? I would just show them the little face without the the word attached. And they would have to tell me what they thought it was. And they would talk about a time that they felt that way. And we would just have conversations like that. It doesn't need to be a full-blown lesson, but I think whenever we can in the school setting and also in the home setting, there are these opportunities to sprinkle in times for our kids to learn about emotions and practice social skills. And I think oftentimes that's just missed, especially at school when we have all these standards that we have to teach and we're subjected to standardized testing. And there's such an emphasis on that, that people lose sight of these other soft skills that really are critical for our children to learn.
0: Absolutely. And I love how you call them soft skills because indeed they are maybe not the skills we prize overtly in a work environment, but they are the soft essential skills that give us the ability to create healthy relationships healthy and happy relationships with ourselves and with other people. So I'm also thinking, you know, for a minute that when we look at how books in the classroom, especially whether they're early in preschool years and, and grade school years, where if a parent maybe doesn't have cards or, or pictures to say at the ready to say, oh, look at this, How how is this person feeling? I imagine that Most families have some sort of picture books around. And what do you think of using books as a springboard for looking at social-emotional learning through that lens of a picture book, any picture book?
1: I think that's incredible. That's like one of my favorite ways to just weave it in very organically because a lot of times, at least in in the classroom setting, I don't have time to carve out a 45-minute social-emotional learning lesson. But I can, during English language arts, use the book that we're reading and point out the faces on the pictures and ask the kids, well, what do you think they're thinking? What do you think they're feeling? Or if there is a conflict in the book, having the kids before we finish it discuss like, well, how would you solve this? Or how would you feel if that were you in that situation? And that's, that's a fantastic way to just very organically integrate this stuff into what you're probably already doing.
0: And I love that because it makes it so accessible for parents. Mm-hmm. Whether you have a book for, you know, a five-year-old, three year old, or a teenager, we have these opportunities just to organically say, oh, what does this person, what do you think they're feeling right now? Because so many people, when you ask them how they're feeling, they'll say, I don't know, or they'll say, okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. And
0: you're starting from a really early age teaching teaching kids and ideally the adults in their lives, all of these different emotions and that they're all okay. We don't have to be happy or okay all the time. We have all these other emotions that we can embrace and process and learn to be friends with.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's something I often tell parents, whether they find me through social media or whether it's the parents I actually work with, the parents of my students. I I tell them that all the time because they'll say things like, oh, my child is just having all these meltdowns, or they just don't seem happy, or they don't. And it's like, your child is not supposed to be happy 100% of the time. Nobody is. That's not how feelings work. And that's okay. But what you can do is help your child get through this uncomfortable emotion. And realize that they're all very temporary and that there are strategies that they can use to make themselves feel more comfortable in those difficult moments.
0: Thank you for talking that it's okay for a child to really focus on that and talk about that, that it's okay for kids to not be happy, just like it's okay for adults to not be happy. We have all of these, you know, five emotions and thousands of feelings. They're there for a reason. And I often think about how many times I'll hear even psychologists or psychiatrists say the negative emotion of anger. And I'm thinking, oh, wait a second. Anger's not a negative emotion. Every emotion is a good and healthy emotion. It's how we use our emotions that can be negative or positive. So when we look at the work you're doing to spread this information to kids and to the parents, to the caregivers, I can really see that you're going to be helping to raise a generation of very um, emotionally aware kids and healthy communicators. So what would be a tip? Let's pivot to communication. What is a tip that you have for parents, for caregivers, about helping their children learn to communicate effectively? It's a big topic. So you may might not be able to confine it to one tip and that's okay
1: yeah no I can definitely share one of my favorite tips like you said communication as a topic is is massive and there's a couple things I think that are really important to remember one is that your kids are watching you and you are the model that they are going to copy and and they're going to see how you act and and they're going to do that too It's the theory of just constructivism and learning um, that kids are learning through their experiences, not just the information that they are presented with. So that's really important, I think, to remember is if you want to raise good communicators, you yourself have to learn how to be a good communicator. I think another tip, this is one I shared on social media that a lot of people I think really connected with because it's easy to remember. It's basically just about asking better questions. A lot of parents, when their kids come home from school, will be like, oh, how was your day? And they'll get the usual answer. Uh, I'm fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Who'd you play with? No one. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> we can avoid these responses by asking better questions, for sure.
0: Open-ended questions, for sure. Being able to, because those close-ended questions, the yes, no questions, kids, get it, they're tired. and They're going to give a, a close-ended response, fine. Okay. Not your business. Leave me alone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I even do that as an adult. Like my, my partner will ask me, Oh, how was your day? Oh, whatever. <laughs> it's such a big question. It's like, I don't want to recount everything. And But I tell my audience online, I use this acronym for myself when I'm designing questions to ask my students. Um, it's just a really quick and easy way to screen the questions to make sure that they're engaging and actually answerable. And that is, uh, the acronym is SOC, like a sock that you wear in your foot, but it stands for simple, open-ended, creative, and kid-friendly. So one example, instead of asking your, ki- your child, oh, what did you learn today at school? You can say, oh, I would love to hear a story that you heard at school today. Or, oh, can you teach me something that you learned at school today? just kind of reframe the question because your child will most likely answer. They probably want to share with you, but asking just such a big question, like how was your day? is It's too much. It's too much for adults too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great tip. Great, great tip. So in your work, Katie, how do you think your work, it's the big question, it's general, but how do you think your work as a parent, as an advocate for social-emotional learning and effective communication, how do you think your work makes families happier and healthier?
1: I Well, my goal when I create these resources is just to provide more tools because there are a lot of amazing resources out there to help families, but every child is different. Every family is different. And I just want to basically offer something else. I'm very big on just quick, like to the point, actionable strategies. So that's mostly the type of stuff I'm I'm sharing online because I I get it. Like I'm I was raised in a really busy family with three kids and my parents were both working and and they people just don't have time to be reading like book after book and get all this information. They want quick, actionable tips yes. and that's really what I'm trying to create. So, you're
0: giving parents, caregivers, other teachers bite sized nuggets that they can take and carry with them. Mm You don't have to sit down and read an hour a night for six weeks. They can actually just take something with you by visiting you on Instagram, Facebook, wherever, and taking away something that they can implement right away at home, in the classroom, wherever. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Another question for you when you look, at kids today and we hear so much about kids mental health being worse than ever a lot of negativity a lot of mental health issues what would you say to parents is one thing they can do to help support their kids in this ever changing often very scary yeah that's a it's a it, big ask
1: <laughs> it's it, a big question but I think my, my number one tip for that, and this is often something that families do not want to hear because it makes potentially their job a little bit more challenging, but I think that families have to limit the amount of time that their children are on screens. It's just not developmentally appropriate for most children's brains. Like they're just not, it's too much information. It's too much stimuli. It actively shortens their attention span. It works against development of their executive functioning skills. It decreases their performance at school. it It's just so detrimental in so many ways. And I don't think that that means just cut them off of screens entirely because screens are part of our world. But I think that we have to limit it and we have to set boundaries surrounding screens. And that's hard, but it's necessary.
0: Katie, I wish... I could disagree with you on something that you're talking about and I have nothing to disagree with. I'm a hundred percent advocate of what you're talking about and how important it is. And you're right. It does take more investment from parents. Path Mm -hmm. of least resistance is let them go to their screens, especially when parents are working full time and they want the screen to babysit the child. And Mm -hmm. I agree with you that it does take, it takes more effort, but the payoffs, not just in the short term, but in the long term for the child's ability to communicate again, social emotional aspects of it, social learning aspects of it, all of those pieces, plus their ability to have more than a two second attention span. So it's no wonder that you're seeing that scores, performance in school, that all of those aspects are elevated because our brains are meant to do more. Than stare at a screen for a good portion of the day.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: So mm-hmm. thank you for that very rich, rich snippet. So as we wind wind to a little close here on this wonderful time we've spent together, could you tell our listeners where they can find
1: you? Absolutely. So my, I'm primarily on Instagram. My handle is at the calm classroom. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter under the same name. And then uh, I also just joined LinkedIn. So feel free to add me over there as well. This is new, but you can find me there. Just Katie, K-A-T-I-E, Plunkett, P-L-U-N-K-E-T-T. And then my website is the calmclassroom.org. Okay. And I also understand that in about a year, you will maybe
0: be having a book coming out that our listeners could look for.
1: Yes, absolutely. I wish I had more information to share at this point. I don't have a working title yet, but it's definitely in the making. I'm working with Teacher Goals Publishing and the book will be specifically about how to communicate more effectively with kids and in a way to kind of naturally integrate these social emotional skills into conversations you're already having.
0: Okay, so anyone who's following you on social media, we'll be able to keep apprised of when that's coming out. Yes?
1: Yes. The plan is late next summer, early fall. So keep an eye out. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your time today, Katie. It's really a pleasure to meet you. And thank you, honestly, from my heart for the work you're doing one child at a time to make kids more comfortable in their skins, making Mm -hmm. them be able to communicate and feel more at ease in this pretty complicated world we live in. Oh yeah,
1: (laughs) it is. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you, Katie. And as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. Would be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, Please visit us at familias.com where you'll find our Habit Hub blog as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. And remember, one step at a time, we can and will make the world a happier place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy, a true pleasure. Be well and shine, shine, shine as only you can do.